welcome to the first episode of Queer in College, a short mini series about the queer student experience and some possible ways to think about breaking down barriers that exist to successful queer experiences. My name is Jesse, and for today's episode, I thought we could dive deep into my own experience in college and compare it to the experience of my two best friends who identify as straight. So I'm joined today by Davis Kalzer and Ben Davids. Hey guys. Hello. Hey. Davis served as my vice president when I was student body president of Furman University, our undergrad. He was the student director of the Shucker Leadership Institute. He founded the Furman Justice Forum, and he currently lives in DC working in education policy at the American Institutes for Research. And then Ben worked in the admissions office at Furman, served as the coordinator for new student orientation, participated in residential life council, and currently works for a company called Investinet, which I do not really understand what he does, um, but he might can tell us. Um, both of these guys graduated undergrad with me. We were in a fraternity together and we served as new student orientation leaders together and led an admissions program for high schoolers together. How are you guys? Doing good. good. Happy to be here. I feel famous, you know. <laughs> Glad to have you. Y'all make me feel uh, famous too. Um, I thought we would dive into some questions about um, our experiences in college and um, I really want to challenge us to think past some of the things we've talked about before in our previous conversations um, and think hard about these issues. So we can start with um, just kind of generally, how do you feel um, your relationships with me as a gay man and other students who identify as queer impacted your own college experience? Well, I can start. And I think one of the big things for me at least was that like having friendships with um, other queer identifying people really helps me to think about like the structures of masculinity and the structures of like the patriarchy and systemic oppression that exist. And so I kind of thought more about my own self and like my own sexuality and like how I might fit into those systems and what kind of pressures I might feel because of that. And so I think it gave me more insight into like just who I am and how to live amidst the systems that exist. Yeah, how, um, Davis, do you feel like those systems played out for, um, for like straight guys at Furman? Because I feel like you had, like you both had a pretty like gay experience, um, would you say? Yeah, I mean, I think they can play out in a lot of ways. Um, I guess like just growing up, I feel like I never fully fit into like the typical straight man experience. Like I played football, I did a lot of things that typical straight men do, but I also have like always really been into like other types of things. I've liked theater and music and things that typically like straight men don't like. And so I felt like growing up, especially in my small rural town in South Carolina, a lot of pressure to like not like those things. And I feel like by, even at Furman, there's pressure like that amidst male peers, but most of my friends were gay. And I think it's because in like that kind of environment, I felt much more like I could really be myself and be interested in all the things I'm interested in, talk about the things I want to talk about, rather than like having to just act a certain very structured way as a male. Ben, what are your thoughts about um, how your queer 
friends or other queer students impacted your experience? Yeah, no, I think there's so many different ways I can take this. And when I was first thinking about the questions that we saw just a little bit before you were asking them, uh, it was hard to trace back my college experience and think like, well, what wasn't affected by the queer identities of my friends? Because so many of my close friends and the meaningful relationships that I had at Furman were constructed through those identities. Um, and I think contextually as well, Furman is, at least in our bubble, like a pretty gay school. If I'm thinking about kind of the hegemonic masculinity in the society that governs the rest of society, it's super different from how we interacted in our classes and in our peers and circles at Furman. Um, I think that we gravitated towards networks where it was more accepting to be queer or bisexual or um, however you identified with sexuality and other aspects of who you are as well. Um, I think I have to remember back to the beginning when I had, when we were first getting to know each other and it was new for me to have friends that were gay. I remember there were moments where I would forget it and then someone would say something and I'd be like, oh my God, I, I forgot that like he's attracted to guys. And that's so different from most of the people that I grew up with. Um, and in those moments, it was just like, this is, this is so interesting. I am getting to push my boundaries and I am exposing myself to people who are so different from myself. Um, and I think there's so much growth that came out of that, that hopefully a lot for us to unpack here. Yeah. Um, and I do think like you both are, are unique. Like I think lots of people come in with, without such an inclusive view. Um, and let me just be the first to say how appreciative I am to have had straight friends like you who like really changed my per perception of straight people, because I think I came into college um, <laughs> with a very negative view of, of straight men, especially um, just due to harm that I had experienced growing up. And um, y'all really shifted that for me and um, I was just curious like how like your interactions with queer people might have shifted your views like they did in a positive way um, maybe can you can you talk a little bit about like differences you notice between your own college experience versus those of your queer friends mm, I think and this is, this is a good question because it pushes us to realize the areas where things were just like automatic for us or default or easy and we didn't have to think about it. And it wasn't until you might be complaining about how there's no gay people at Furman to date that it would strike me that like, oh, not, not everyone here is in a pool of students where like 70% of them are female and are assumed to be attracted to your gender. Um, yeah. Yeah, I definitely resonate with that. <laughs> that was the number one difference I noticed um, was just like always feeling like there was no one to date. Um, yeah, Davis. And yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the big one. And then I also, I was thinking about this and like, so we were in a fraternity, we were involved in Greek life, went to functions and stuff. And I feel like in general, like, you know, I would always take girls to functions and like that person, mm. if I was single, could maybe be someone I was interested in or something like that. And I feel like for a lot of the gay guys at Furman, like it wasn't really expected they would take other boys to their functions. Mm. 
yeah. it was like like i remember jesse you did take a boy once and it was like a big deal right we Whereas, like broke the internet yeah i know and like i think that's kind of strange and maybe shows like how even though we feel like Furman, especially as straight people we might feel like Furman's is a good place to be gay like there's a, a little bit of a sense of like the gay best friend of Furman. like everyone wants their gay best friend and like we benefit from them but don't want to like really adjust the structures that exist to make it more accommodating to them right and then another thing i think you might have talked about and maybe you can touch on more is like in terms of like access to health products and like sexual education at Furman, um like sexual health measures like they might have not been there as much as they were for us yeah and that's an interesting thing about the school i'm at now i'm at boston college um getting my master's program they don't offer any sort of like sexual health resources um whereas Furman did um but definitely not catered towards gay people or queer people and it's especially not catered to them here um but i want to go back to you brought up our experience in a fraternity together um and i wanted to go back to that because our frat that we were in was kind of considered the the gay fraternity lots of people would call it that um which elicited like a bunch of different responses among members of the fraternity but um like, do you think that our experience was in a fraternity was inclusive and equitable for gay people? I know I have my own opinion about this, but I want to hear yours. Um, and like, how might Greek life serve as a structure that like upholds gender norms and still others queer people, even if it was a gay friendly fraternity? Yeah, that's a tough question. And definitely something that we argued about our fair share throughout college because I think there's different contexts and relative to what is the question that we you were always pushing us on because I think for me when we were called the gay fraternity and when I was thinking about well if I was gay would I feel comfortable in this fraternity my frame of reference was well how comfortable would I feel in reference to the other fraternities on campus and the answer to that question was, well, comfortable compared to that, because that's super um, homophobic. And there's so many things there that would not be okay. So that, that makes us pretty good in relation to that. Um, mm -hmm. and, but then over the years, of course, we realized that that is not the reference that we want to be measuring ourselves by. And I think, um, I don't know, the way that you talk about our being called the gay fraternity now is I'm kind of hearing it differently than I did back then as well. And I'm thinking that the way that people understood us as gay might not have had anything to do with how many people in our fraternity were actually attracted to guys, but maybe more that the general archetype of the guy in our fraternity was not straight right. by the definition. And that most people in our fraternity were still attracted to women, I think, um, but they had been outcasted by the dominant idea of what masculinity should look like. And I'm kind of hearing it in, in different ways now, not something that we should be proud of or a way of referencing gay culture that was empowering. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I think like, um, like it was still a way to say that like certain groups are better than other groups and mm -hmm. you were the lesser of those groups um, and, and framed in a way that's like, by certain people, they're the inclusive group, but what does that really mean? It means like they're they're not as good, you know? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. That's so interesting. Yeah, I do think it 
like what you're saying, but I really agree with. And then also I would say like, in terms of the internal structure of the fraternity, like I feel like it was filled with like a lot of well-intentioned, really nice, wanting to be inclusive white people who are men and know that like there's some, especially when we were freshmen, it kind of changed as we got older, but like there's issues with masculinity. We want to be accepting. We don't want to be like the normal fraternity. But mm -hmm. I think at least to some extent, and this is like emblematic of our fraternity, but also like any kind of like predominantly white institution, like we didn't really want to dramatically change our structures mm -hmm. in order to accommodate people. Like we wanted them to come in and be welcome there without like reorganizing like our structure to mm -hmm. make them it better for them. So they could come, but they had to like, um, like sort of integrate into the way we did things. Yeah. Than yeah. And what do, you when you, what do you sacrifice when you integrate like that? Like so much of your authenticity and your ability to like, live in a way that's true to your own experiences you have to sacrifice um i mean i just think about some of the norms that existed within our fraternity that like for for straight people of course you wouldn't like hook up or kiss like another fraternity member but like for a gay person like you might want to mm -hmm. um, that would have been like so looked down upon or like mm -hmm. like maybe it's okay for you to be gay in this fraternity but there are certain things that you don't do um mm -hmm. and then also thinking about how we were called the gay frat not like the queer frat like like it's still so gendered like it's not like we had like we never had a trans person in our fraternity and i don't and i don't know what that would have looked like you know mm -hmm. yeah hmm. i yeah i think that's so right that a lot of the men in our fraternity wanted to benefit from the status that being um welcoming of gay people affords them without actually having to do anything to make their society like well adjusted for gay people I, the way we're talking about it now it makes me think like sure if you're gay like you can be in here but like don't do any of that gay stuff in the fraternity like you can be gay but like do it outside you know it's still a fraternity it's like we're doing you a favor like <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> sure yeah yeah Oh, I, I hear that and I feel that. <laughs> um, well, cool. I, anything else y'all want to say about like the fraternity experience before I move on? I don't know. I think there's so many aspects of the culture and the history that are so wrong that at the, in the, when we're in the middle of it, it's like hard to pick apart as much because there's just like these really obvious aspects like the sexism and the racism that the homophobia is so ingrained in there that it's hard to parse apart from all those other issues. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like we could do an entire podcast on Greek life and <laughs> probably a whole series, you know. Yeah, um, you can talk about it for so long. But I want to move on to something, uh, something we were all involved in that we thought of as very inclusive, and that was orientation staff. Um, ben and I both served as the coordinator for new student orientation, and that was where we really got close, the three of us, the summer after our freshman year. Um, and for me, it was, it's really, I credit that experience with my sense of belonging that I felt in college. Um, and I think a lot of that is because it was a pretty queer friendly space. We went through safe zone training. We learned the importance of introducing ourselves with pronouns. And we talked so in depth about um, our identities in the training. Um, 
how did how did all of that impact you as as a straight person um and then maybe let's talk about maybe some ways that it wasn't so in inclusive but first yeah. how did it impact you? well i think to start like after like orientation is probably when i felt like the most accepted and the most authentic that i've like ever been um because the things we did like really created an environment where we like all accepted each other not despite the differences that we have, like because of them and we like celebrated those things. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, there were a lot of people who identified as gay or queer in some way on orientation staff. And it kind of made me think when I was thinking about this question, like how the gay experience of coming out and like maybe experiencing shame around something and then learning to accept that and love that in yourself is something like everyone needs to go through. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's something I also kind of got from having relationships with people who identified as queer is that like I learned at least a little bit more through that experience to love things in myself that I usually was ashamed of. Like I grew up really conservative and I grew up homeschooled in like a crazy fundamentalist Christian environment. Um, and so I used to like be like ashamed and try to hide that. And orientation helped me feel like by just like leaning into the things that I was ashamed of, people almost like identify with you and love you more and you can like be more yourself. And so I think like that's something I really gained from it. Yeah, thank you for sharing that, Davis. I feel like um, like that is a beautiful thing that a lot of queer people go through is like having to completely reject what other people think about you so that you can live into your truth and what you know is gonna make you happy. And I think like everyone has shame that they need to come out of, you know, it's not just queer people. Everyone needs to come out in, in some way. And I think, um, like somehow in orientation staff, we facilitated that, that experience. But like, I guess the still lingering question is like what structures within like within that allowed for that kind of experience, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's a good question. I think there were a lot of like exercises where we were forced to kind of divulge information about ourselves, um, little by little. And like, we built up trust slowly. And then like, over time, we would get to the point where like, if you wanted to share, you could, we always did like challenge by choice. Like you didn't have to share, which I think is really important because some people might not want to share certain things. Mm -hmm. But I think over time, like they did a good job of slowly gradually building us, building, building us up to the point where we could share the information about ourselves. Yeah, Ben, any other thoughts? Yeah, I think I, the, um, environment that orientation staff exposed me to was it allowed for so much growth it was entirely different kind of like the opposite of every other aspect of a, a university culture and that in orientation staff being vulnerable was really cool and you got social capital from being deep and from revealing your darkest secrets and from um, accepting people for theirs as well and I think that in that environment, it kind of brought all that stuff out of me and it incentivized being vulnerable in a way that is usually something, the last thing you ever want to do, especially with people that you don't know. Um, so I think in that way, it allowed us to learn so much about the individuals there and uh, through the intentional like selection process, making sure that people on orientation staff are representing diverse backgrounds and interests as well. It's just kind of this um, really cool environment that you get to float around and learn all this new stuff about people, nothing like you. Yeah, let's talk, let's talk about that. 
like diversity that you just mentioned because orientation staff was probably the most you know quote diverse group on campus in terms of like races and sexualities represented um do you think that that was fair to new students who may have seen themselves represented on staff but not as much so when they actually started school like I definitely think uh, for as inclusive as our staff was it it might have tokenized the actual people on staff to the general community and maybe perpetuated some issues in in a certain way. Hmm. I've never thought about that, but it, you have a really good point in that the process of creating a staff that diverse took a lot of effort and it by no means came naturally. It by no means is a natural representation of the student body. Um, so right. I, yeah. I see where that could come from. But it look I mean, it looks really good, you know? Um, and I remember, <laughs> I remember being a, a freshman coming into Furman and like seeing all these gay people on Oregon. <laughs> oh my gosh, like this is going to be the best mm. four years of my life. And then like I started school and I was like, where are mm -hmm. the like It's like, we can make you feel so good and so accepted for the first week. But then after that, like you're in college, come on. What do you expect? Yeah, yeah. like join the game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I've been thinking like a lot about this um today as I've been thinking about this question and like I think having like a very diverse orientation staff is important obviously because like you need the diverse students coming in to have people who they can see and like go to as mentors throughout the fall or like when they're new as freshmen but it's only good if we are representing like in our conversations with those students an accurate depiction of what it's like to be black or gay or anything at Furman. Um, and I think like if, if we're not being honest about it, then it's problematic because students might feel like they're entering some like multiracial, multi-sexuality um, commune college when in reality, like it's not like that. And I think um, Furman like has a responsibility to work to build down the systems that make Furman a predominantly white institution um, while like putting at the forefront of their webpage, like a diverse group of students. So I think like, like performative activism is good only when it's like followed by systemic change as well. Right. Um, how, how did y'all see these kind of issues? Cause, cause you were both so involved, um, in like other student groups and in leadership roles. Like, how did you see those things play out? Um, like Ben, I know you were in uh, RLC and admissions, like these issues come up in those, in those places as well, or Davis, the, the Leadership Institute. I think off the top of my head, um, when I think about Shucker, one thing we did is like sophomore year students did a program where they would go into a like um, community organization and try to like do a year long project to make change. Um, and that could be lots of different things. When I was a sophomore, Jesse, you were involved with this. We um, did a project with an after-school program and one of the things we did was take those students to Furman and show them like what it's like to go to college and like what you can do if you work yourself out of this and then um, at first that seems like a good idea but I think that's like super problematic mm -hmm. because basically like these students lived in a segregated neighborhood um, that was basically segregated historically like through racism and then they went to a segregated school that's underfunded as a result and then we 
aren't really working to break down the system. We're just kind of working to help them where they are and to then bring them to the college and show them like, this is what you can do if you work hard. When like, there's so many structural barriers to that mm-hmm. kind of payment for them. Right. I think it's something I've thought about more like this last year. Um, whereas like a lot of the stuff you experience at the predominantly way institution like Furman is that there's sort of like almost a tokenization of suffering of marginalized groups. And we want to go and help you, but we don't want to change the system because it hurts us. I mean, the system benefits us and we don't want to get rid of it. And so right. I think like it's well-intentioned to some extent maybe, but in the end, like there's an issue. And I think over time, like we, we had those discussions with people in our groups, but like there were still issues and like people who probably didn't fully understand it. And I don't even think I grasped it fully until like oh. the end of my college experience, so. Yeah. I don't think I did either. It's like there are these lies that we tell ourselves to like make us feel good, especially when we're going through some of those hard developmental years, like uh, constructing our own identities. Like how do we battle like those, those, that dissonance? I'm, mm-hmm. you know, um, Ben, I'm interested to hear like what conversations went on over in admissions. Um, and then like even more specifically about queer students. Cause I don't like, I'll disclose this when I wrote my admissions essay for Furman, like I wrote about a missions trip that I had been on, which I think lots of students did during our era, but uh, it was very like savior complexy and um, like how more profound it would have been if I had written about my identity as a gay man and I didn't. Um, Mm -hmm. And just thinking about some of the, like the barriers that queer people face in admissions processes, like I'm interested Mm -hmm your perspective yeah no those are super interesting questions I think from any student-led organization they understand diversity through the definition that is proposed through their school and the way that um, it is demonstrated through that so I think in presidential life council and admissions diversity to us meant that it has to look good like we've been talking about like from leadership and from student involvement top down like we need it to look good so there's a pretty picture when we take our staff photos Uh, but beyond that I don't think it held much meaning for us because as soon as we um, mixed ourselves back apart from how we had stationed for the photo like it was kind of segregated and the people we hung out with were the people who were similar to us Um, and diversity kind of ended at that point I think in admissions um, it's really hard because I obviously I wasn't an admissions counselor. I was always external to the actual processes. Mm-hmm. And of course, diversity is a big piece in the admissions game and trying to um, gauge that level of the incoming population for the students was a big piece. Um, but also weighing, like I wonder how much they, they had to weigh the diversity that a student is presenting Um, with their actual likelihood of achieving and achieving success at the school. Mm. Um, I'm not sure how much of a balance they saw between there. And if it was just for show, like we just need, we know this will look good or Mm. like, how does this student fit into the demographic of the school and how are they actually going to feel going to classes day to day on a campus like this? Like, are they going to succeed too? Mm -hmm. Does it matter? Right. I guess we're running like close on time, but um, a last kind of big question is how, like now that we're graduated, like how do you feel we 
we can tackle some of these like deep rooted issues that feel like um, that feel like structural change is just nearly impossible. Like, what are our commitments? What how how do we engage? We vote I, for Elizabeth Warren and big structural change. <laughs> <laughs> I think that reflecting on my friendships with queer people at Furman and how it has impacted who I am today. Um, I don't think about it anymore. Like, because I made the personal decision to integrate diversity of sexuality into my personal life and that the friends and people who I most care about are gay, then like naturally now that's something that I care about. And that's something that I, um, I'm allied with and I have like deep rooted concern for fighting for equality for LGBTQ populations. And mm. it's not something that I do like to look good anymore. I think once you make that decision to like extend your personal concern to it, then it's not gonna be a decision anymore. Like it's just gonna be, that activism is gonna be rooted in your personal behavior day to day. Yeah, it's like once the, the mind stretches, you can't <laughs> back or whatever. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I agree with that, Ben. Um, then I think also like thinking outside of just queer issues, like just about all kinds of structural issues, just like educating myself, especially at this stage of my life. When we're in quarantine, especially like there's more time. So I've kind of been reading a lot. And I think like reflecting and engaging in conversations like this, like we have conversations like this with each other outside of this podcast, obviously. And like having people like that to talk and grow with, I think is really important too and a good thing to do. And then just keep like, thinking of yourself not as a good person, but as a growing person. You realize you're gonna always have biases. And like, if you make a mistake, like you're probably going to, but like learn how you can grow from that and be more inclusive because you're never gonna be perfectly there. Like you're constantly mm -hmm. more inclusive. And I think that's like a really important thing that I've learned probably just in the last year. It's like, I don't need to think of myself as good now or be ashamed from like when I was like bigoted when I was younger. Um, but see like how I've grown so much and can continue to grow. And right. then we're a more inclusive society as I grow as well. I think about that all the time. Like I, like I can't judge myself for what I did and believed when I was like 15. Like you can get so trapped in that. Like you just have to realize that you're a new person every time you make change in your life. And the result, mm. the result of change is always growth. And I'll be a different person tomorrow and, um, you know, it's a new day, you know? What? Well, yeah. One last observation on, so you just asked us a question about activism and advocacy in general life. And the fact that we brought it down to like our deep personal relationship with ourselves is just super enlightening that yeah. how we feel about the people close to us and how we feel about ourselves is going to impact as much as anything else, the world around us. Mm. Yeah, that was super insightful. Thanks, Ben. <laughs> Um, last question quickly, just like, what are like any other resources or books that you've found particularly helpful when navigating these issues? Um, if our audience is, is looking for some practical things that they might can do. My biggest resource, um, his name is Davis Kauser. So if you ever need a book recommendation, he's read all of them. You just ask him. All right, Davis pressure's on. <laughs> oh my God. Um, well, one I just recently read that was really good is The Color of Law by Richard Rothstein. And it's about like how the government segregated America and how it's our government is, our country is still so segregated. So that's an important read for anyone. Um, 
the new Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. Ben and I read that around the same time. Um, those are some really like good ones to read. And then there's a new book that just came out. I haven't read it yet, but it's called The Some of Us by Heather McGee. And it's mm-hmm. about how um, basically like racism is the reason like we have such an unequal society today in so many reasons, because we had to adopt an idea of like a zero sum strategy. Like if I benefit, you have to be harmed. Right. We are always other in ways in our society outside of race too. So those are some good books. Um, and then I think like listening to music by black authors, like Ben is my go-to person for, or black artists is my music go-to person. Um, and so he showed me a lot of those people cool. as well. Just like engaging in um, like different cultures in your like personal intake of art, I think is a good thing. Uh, I did that um, for Pride Month last year. I only listened to queer artist, which was which was fun and I learned so much. And then you showed them to us. Yeah, did I show <laughs> well, cool. We all give each other like these resources, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I'm so thankful for that. Um, but thank you guys so much for doing this podcast. It means the world to me. Um, and stay tuned. We're going to have some some other fun guests, people you may know, Ben and Davis. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, this was so fun. Cool. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thanks for having us. Mm-hmm.